You gotta have a podcast. 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 What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to You Gotta Have a Podcast. I'm Angela Palladino. Thanks for joining me again this week. It continues to be a fucking insane time for me on a personal level. I'm recording this on a Friday right now, uh, which I know because this morning I got up and I started my work day and I had a call first thing this morning with a client of mine for a commercial that I'm directing next week. And I got up and I got on the call and I said, all right, happy Monday, everybody. Are you excited to get going on this shoot this week? And they, <laughs> they said, Angela, it's, it's Friday. So that's where I'm at right now, just like mentally (laughs) and physically just fucking wiped. But (laughs) one of the highlights of my week every week is working on this podcast and getting to listen back at these conversations while I edit them and think about the fucking wisdom nuggets that my guests have bestowed upon my happy meal of life. Wisdom nuggets with extra honey mustard, please. Um, I'm losing my fucking mind. <laughs> All right. Well, this week I have a really exciting guest. I think it's exciting because our conversation was so on point for the kind of the thesis of this whole podcast. Our guest this week has written for Saturday Night Live. He's written, directed, produced, acted in dozens, maybe hundreds of sketches with his duo, Britannic. He's written for television, movies, film. He had a really great one-man show that ran in Los Angeles before the pandemic. Uh, His name is Brian McElhaney. And Brian and I go deep about how some people just have to be an oil painter, even though it's not the Renaissance. We talk about how his and Nick Kocher, his writing partner's sort of creative process is similar to how a melody and a rhythm work together in a song. And we talk about how being a jack of all trades has a bit of a negative connotation to it. But personally, I think, and I think Brian thinks, that's a load of shit. Being a jack of all trades, if you do it right, can really set you up to be a more well-rounded and collaborative creator. Brian is one of the best people I know to have these sort of deep intellectual conversations about creativity. And this is exactly that. Here's my conversation with Brian McElhaney. I would say that's very much me and I, to my own detriment sometimes, but yes, I'm, the older I get to, the more I'm like, we should all be fucking like artists with capital A's. And if you're doing shit for the sake of the business or the industry, or because you think it's going to lead to like fame, fuck you get out. Like that's sort of like, I'm more of that the older I get, which like kind of makes me a tough person to have a conversation with sometimes, but also it's like, I, I do take pride in that I'm becoming um, whatever, whatever that person is. Um, but yes, I've always sort of had that kind of attitude since I was in college doing art, but I've, uh, I kind of denied that that was me, but I've, I'm starting to realize that it is, uh, very much, uh, intrinsically a part of who I am. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, everyone has to do certain projects, even though they might be creative, but that might not be, you know, exactly what they want to do to pay the bills. Like, for example, like, you know, I yes. do a lot of producing stuff that is like I produce branded content a lot for money, but like my passion is not branded content, you know, uh, <laughs> but. Um, l- oh, it's not. No, oh, I always thought that's what you wanted to do. I do. I actually no. have a straight up lie on my website that like my headline of myself on my website is branded content enthusiast. And um, it's that's a straight up lie. <laughs> I'm just lying right on the top of my resume. But <laughs> I knew it. Um, I don't- um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely the big like you, you have to play the game a little bit. You have to you know, you're not going to always be able to do everything that's completely artistically pleasing to you all the time. I mean, I guess there are some people who. Right 
are, are lucky in some sense. But in general, even successful people I know, you have to kind of you have to find that balance. So I am I am sensitive to that, and I under, I've seen that in myself too. But it's like I think it's you have to always just be very aware of what you're doing and why. Because I think what I've seen, especially in this town, I'm speaking from Los Angeles listeners, <laughs> uh, you can get really even if you are because a lot of people come from New York. And then they come to LA and I see this a lot where it's like people in New York are, if they're an artist in New York, they're often like an artist. Like you go to New York to like hone your craft and come see my underground show (laughs) where I'm like naked and cover myself in paint and throw myself at the wall. Like that is kind of like the New York attitude of art, I feel like. And I've seen artists like that come to LA with that mindset, but then get sucked into the you know, the, 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 the kind of shiny business mm-hmm. of it all. It just happens. And it's like, and that's okay because like, that's what sort of LA is about is sort of, you know, taking this artistic craft you've learned and, and turning it into, you know, commodifying it and, and playing the game a little bit. But if you don't have like just a healthy eye on what you're doing all the time, you can get totally sucked down that pathway, I think. Yeah. So it's like learning to like, I guess keep one foot in each world and just always like checking yourself. I think that's the most important thing is like you can do anything and you need, you need to take jobs for certain reasons, but you always just, I think need to just have an eye on what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, and that can just, it just takes like, you know, it's just constant checking up on yourself and surrounding yourself with the right people who are also able to call you on your bullshit. Yeah. That's really interesting. And like weirdly, like what you were just talking about kind of reminds me of like you may have heard this sort of I feel like it's a common trope that like a lot of for example comedians right who might have uh, Mm. mental health issues and are like considering going on medication but then they worry like that they won't be funny anymore or something I feel like the different like people think of like New York versus LA almost kind of like that like is like if I move to LA, am I going to be soft and like my <laughs> my, my art isn't <laughs> going to be like funny or creative anymore? And it's like, well, no, it's not the it's not the city that is doing that to you. Right? <laughs> no, it's not the city. It's like it's it's totally your choice. Like I, if you are going to become soft, then if the city makes you soft, then you kind of had no chance, I guess, to begin with. Like you were always going to be pulled in that direction. You're just soft. But, uh, but you, yeah, you're just a soft person. Um, but yeah, it's uh, this city is definitely. It will, you know. I, I mean, I feel like even I was so against this town when I first moved here, and like I had such a New York kind of attitude about it. Then the first time I moved here, like three months in, it was like all my nights became like I started really caring about like whose party I was going to and like, Mm -hmm. who's going to be there and like how I was dressing things. I did not give a fuck about in New York. And I remember being like, Oh my God, it's happening. It's sucking me in. Like (laughs) I, I just had no, I had no toolbox to like defend myself from it. Cause I didn't know it could happen to me, but I think it can kind of grab anyone if you're not careful. (laughs) Yeah. And I also think that like, if you are self-aware, like you, you seem to be at least in in a little bit of a way as we're having this conversation that you recognize when that's happening and then you can like be like, wait a second, why the fuck do I care about these sort of things? <laughs> right, right. You have to pivot. Yeah. Well, what I used to do is I would just fly to New York and just like spend a week <laughs> in New York, but I haven't been able to do that during COVID. So I'm just like, this city just has its tentacles. Yeah, no, me you're sucked in. Nine months You're going to be doing a lot better than we yeah. are here though pretty soon once it starts to snow and then we're really stuck inside. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I already feel so bad for you. That's going to be very hard. Um, So like, I know like you started like, I feel like pretty young as far as like knowing that you wanted to do comedy and knowing you wanted to do sketch. Like a lot of people, I mean, I didn't really... I did comedy, like, I did, like, theater and stuff in high school, but I didn't, like, get into, like, improv and sketch and stand-up until I was, like, 23. So do you have any, like, early memories of, especially when you're young and impressionable, I feel like, at least in my experience, when you, like, people would be like, okay, you gotta do this, you gotta, like, do that, like, you have to go take a, a commercial acting class, you have to, like, set up an indie improv team and, like, do indie show, like, all the things people tell you you have to do, and then... Did you like listen to that advice or did did you shirk it from the beginning? I, you know, I was just thinking about this because there actually is sort of an origin 
story of this happening to me, which was so I went to NYU film school um, as a kid. I loved acting. And then I got into filmmaking and I didn't know which one I wanted to do, but I went to film school and I loved it. But I always knew like I was making really kind of ridiculous comedic pieces in NYU film school. There weren't a lot of comedy filmmakers. It's where, you know, Spike Lee and Martin Scorsese went to film school. Like everyone wanted to be kind of those filmmakers. And there was a part of me that wanted that too. Um, But I just kept doing like really ridiculous shit. (laughs) And then senior year came and I had to make my thesis film. And what's funny is I, I, I was 21 years old and I was like, you know what? time to put the childish movies aside. I'm going to make my, I'm 21 years old. It's time for me to make my dramatic debut. So I wrote all these different like short films where I tried to get so dramatic and they just were embarrassing and they weren't working. And if I'm honest, no 21 year old should try to make a dramatic film. Like you just don't know at all what to do. And I mean, like film school, especially like all these kids spend tens of thousands of dollars on their films and they're almost all garbage. Like it's mm-hmm. just, and like the more, <laughs> the more serious you try to make them often, the more embarrassing they become. <laughs> I, I, I have found. And that's what my scripts were when I was trying to write them. So I kind of pivoted halfway through the year because like nothing was coming out. And I just started doing Britannic stuff with Nick, my sketch duo. And I had written this idea of a short film and the, the film is called Eagles Are Turning People Into Horses. It's mm-hmm. on our YouTube channel. It is what I did for my thesis film for NYU. And I remember presenting it to the class and we read through it. And like everyone's jaw was like agape because it was so fucking ridiculous. You can watch it online. It is totally bonkers. Oh, yeah. And it's, I'm probably <laughs> the proudest of it of almost anything I've done. But I remember the class ended. And my teacher was like, you know, class is over. Brian, can I see you in my office, please? So I go up to his office and he was just like, he was this older man. And he was like, you cannot make this film. This is NYU film school. And I remember being like, what do you mean I cannot make this film? Like, I'm your student. Shouldn't you be encouraging me to like, this is clearly a different voice and it's very strange, but your job is to help me hone that if that's what I want to do. And he was like, this is like, this is a skit. He said, this is like something you'd see on the Carol Burnett show, (laughs) to which I was one, I was like, well, you you. just revealed like (laughs) the age gap. And two, yes, thank you. It's a wonderful show. But like, it was one of those things where I was like, I'm doing it. I I can't, I, the, the moment he said, you can't do this. I was like, that to me was like such permission that I had to do it. I just like, I had to. And they give allotments out in NYU film school for like students. They get a couple thousand bucks and all the equipment to use. And there were like 16 kids in our class and 15 got the allotment. And I didn't, they just didn't give it to me. And, you know, off I went and made it on my own for no money over one weekend. And then it like went to festivals and did really well. And now NYU like kind of touts the film. And it's Classic. like one of those things where, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I was in a, when I worked at SNL, I was in an after party and two interns came up to me and they were both NYU film kids. And they were like, we have a question. We uh, like, we want to settle a question for you. We both go to NYU film school and both of our teachers claim they had you in their class when you uh. made eagles or turning people into horses. And I was like, that is so fucking ridiculous. Cause NYU like wanted to kick me out of the school when I was making it. And I was like, who is your teacher? I'll tell you which one it was. And they told me the names of their teachers. And I was like, I don't know either of those people. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it felt like validating in a certain way, but like that was kind of one of the first times I noticed because then I made it and people really liked it and responded to it and it did well for us. And that's like when I, that was like the first time I heard like when someone was like, don't do content like this, do content like this. Mm-hmm. And I went against it and it worked and I felt proud of it. That was like, I think that might've set something into motion inside of me to always follow that version. Cause then I've, you know, I've been met with that so many times throughout my career of like, you should be doing something more of this type of content or in this medium. And I just think back to, you know, my thesis film and how much I, when I, I didn't listen to that and it was, it was a, a great thing for me. So yeah, that was probably the first time uh, yeah. when I was young. And then I, I was going to say also at that exact same time, uh, we wanted to graduate. We were graduating NYU and the path you take as a filmmaker at that time, 2008 is when I graduated. Like what you were kind of supposed to do is like 
go raise money for a short film, make a short film, send it to festivals. That's kind of how you start your career as a filmmaker. But Nick and I were really obsessed with this group called Derek Comedy that yeah. Donald Glover was in. And they were putting stuff on YouTube back when no, there's like, yeah. I could count all the sketch groups on two hands at that time. Uh-huh. And I was like, we can do this. Like you, we have like, I'm a filmmaker. We have sound and video equipment. I know how to edit. You can act. I can act. Like, let's just do this and put our shit on YouTube. And I remember talking to our parents and teachers about that was the path I wanted to take. And everyone was like, don't go on YouTube. What are you talking about? That's not how you do. What is YouTube? Like, don't yeah. do that. Like, Make a short film, go to festivals. And now it's funny because everyone is encouraged to get their shit online as quick as possible. But that was also a thing where I was like, I think this way is the way of the future. I think that's where I want to go with it. But I was just like, no one, yeah, no one really encouraged us from to do that. I mean, that's so, so funny, and it's it is like really interesting too because I I knew about like for example, eagles are turning people into horses before, like years before I met you, um, <laughs> and only because like a bunch of like nerdy New York comedy kids. Like, specifically my friend Brandon Zellman, I think I've told you about this, was just like, you have to see. And I was like, what the fuck is <laughs> this? And it's so funny because it, like, lends to that, like, I mean, much better to make a, a, a sketch-like film than an overly pretentious drama from a 21-year-old that no one wants to see. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, to be fair, actually. Um, I agree. I was listening to uh, a last podcast on the left the other day i don't know if you know those guys it's like henry zabrowski and marcus parks and ben kissel do you know that oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yes i do they uh literally i was listening to an episode of their podcast which i really enjoy um last week and they referenced that film oh really <laughs> your fucking nyu student film from like 12 years ago it was yeah it was uh just wild That's um amazing. how like that you know helped like put you on a path that like you've sort of continued like being like you know what I'm gonna do this thing that I want to do and fuck you if you say it's it's the wrong thing I feel like so many people have been so sure of like this is the way to do things like that I've had conversations with anyways especially older people or gatekeepers or teachers or whatever and then I I personally wasted a lot of my fucking time and energy trying to do those yeah. things. And then I'm like, this isn't even what I like doing. And also this isn't working. And like, yeah, <laughs> you end up in a totally different place. I, you know, I, it's, I think about this a lot because I, tr- I want to, as I've gotten older, really around 30, things started shifting for me where I was like, wait a minute, what am I doing as an art? What do I want to do? Like, what, why do I mm-hmm. do what I do? I think when I was younger, I kind of was like, let's get famous, put me on a billboard, let's go. And now as I get older, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> first of all, like, I, we've, we've seen fame in and around our friends and Mm. it's like, it's not, I'm not sure it's a good thing. Like, it's really like, I, I, I have not, it doesn't seem to be all that I used to think was cracked up to be. And in fact, some people I've seen it really stress them out and kind of destroy their lives in certain ways. But it's like, I've also been thinking like, I have a lot of friends who, uh, are real artists. Like one of my friends, I was thinking about her today. She's an oil painter. It's what she does. She paints. She's an oil painter. Mm-hmm. The oil painting market in this day and age is not what it was back in the <laughs> Renaissance, let's say. And that's sure. what she just <laughs> has to do. And she has been told by other people, like maybe going to graphic design. There's other ways in which you can make a lot of money off it. And she just can't. She has to do oil painting or like crazy, creepy installations with moss. Like that's the way her artistic brain expresses itself. And she's just sort of like, yeah, I'm not sure I'll ever really make any money doing this, but like, I gotta do it this way. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, I appreciate and value that in people so much more the older I get. And it's like one of those things where, you know, I've been told like, uh, like I was lucky at first that like I wanted to do sketch right as YouTube was booming. It kind of fit. It was perfect. It like really helped me, yeah. you know, launch where I wanted to go. But now it's like, you know, I I really love films. I love movies over TV. There's mm-hmm. a lot of great TV shows, but like I just want to make films. And I've had a lot of people tell me like, you got to go into TV. Like films are kind of dying. TV, we're in a boom right now. It's where everything is. Like that's where the money is. And it's like, I get it. And it's like, I'll, I've done jobs in TV and I, I'll continue doing it. But it's like, 
I just like I like movies. And it's like one of those things where I I've had that thing where I'm like, wait, maybe I mean, maybe they are kind of like not the place to go for my career right now. Or maybe there is like, you know, I, I can sort of move up the whatever kind of ladder by going into, let's say, television or something right now. But then I think of like Cheney doing her art or her oil painting. And I'm just sort of like, no, I like the idea of like always sticking to your guns artistically because things do types of mediums or the ways in which you're supposed to uh, do your art. It comes and goes in fads and waves. So it's like however you need to express it, whether that's doing like a one person show where no one will ever see like, great. If that's you, that's you, man, you have to like, you have to follow that or else you're, you're fucked. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that like, uh, where it really, uh, like kind of boils down to is as soon as you start like sacrificing what actually brings you joy and what you actually like, like to do. And the whole reason why you wanted to do this in the first place, just because that's not the way it's done or that's not going to get you paid or whatever it is. That's when like, you're like, I, I I don't know how many times that I've like found myself writing a packet for a show that I don't even want to work for. And I'm like, I hate this. I hate all these jokes like why am i and then i'm like why did i just waste like four hours doing this like i don't even want this job so like that sort of thing like you i feel like you can get bogged down uh like when you're just like well this is what this is what the industry is and this is what i have to do and it's like but is it though like yeah yeah i mean i I just i i understand that entirely i when i moved out to i moved out to la for my third time permanently a year ago so we'll see if it sticks this time (laughs) but like when i did i had a one-man show that i did and i was like i have it was the show that i was like i have to do this i don't know what this show is going to be but i was like i want it to be like messy i don't want it because everything i'd ever done was very curated like all of our sketches and the path we had taken and all the tv shows i worked for that like it all felt like i was really in the right checking the boxes in the right way. Mm -hmm. And I had this other side of me that wanted to kind of come out and it was like this exploration of a show. And I didn't want it to look like any kind of show because I wanted it to feel a bit like, I didn't know if it was absurdist or poignant. I didn't know if it was a music show or a comedy show or storytelling or what. So I was like, I gave myself permission to just cram everything together and just try it Mm -hmm. and just sort of see, see if it stuck or didn't. And I didn't want it to... I just didn't want it to look like I, I wanted to look like I put a lot of effort into it because I did, like it was truly like me on a plate, mm-hmm. but I didn't want it to look like I was trying to make it look like anything you'd seen before. And that could have been a huge failure or something really great. And it was the most fun I'd ever had as an artist. But like, I just remember like every time I did that show, I felt so amazing for like days afterwards even if nothing ever comes of it the idea of just doing what i wanted to do for free and having people like respond to it was it's it's it keeps you alive as an artist if you're not finding outlets to do stuff like that why are you doing it like that's sort of what i i feel you have to just sort of find some place to kind of get get that out in some way. Yeah. It's really interesting you say that too, because I remember when you were developing that show and you were still in New York. Yeah. Um, and I was like, um, I know that like, I knew your sketch work and I'd seen your film work and your videos and stuff. But then I think you came on my uh, standup show and did like some of the song stuff. And I was like, was <laughs> right, not expecting right. you to do that. And everyone was like, yeah. <laughs> what? It was so, and it was like really enthralling yeah. because you were it was like the most um you could tell like watching your performance of that like even in the early like iterations of like the Nicki Minaj bit or whatever like the um Yeah, did the super You bass, were just right. like so present, so like 100 billion percent present in your body and like your performance of it that it was just kind of like it was like a little bit like a blowback of like, whoa, <laughs> this is hilarious and wild. And like how is, we were, I remember looking at and Tracy Sora and we were it? sitting next to each other. We were just like, what the fuck? <laughs> and it was, I, I think I like, it was truly a <laughs> yeah, moment a where I sat there response. and I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> that was a great show that we did. That was, that was. um That Walt show? Yeah, Walt. That was like one of those shows where, because that's kind of where we met basically. And it was like, it was one of those shows that like, 
there was kind of no audience except for the performers, yeah. which to anyone out there who's not in the industry, they're like, no one's in the audience. That shit happens all the time. Like yeah. that is so much of your, unless you are a super established standup, that's just what a lot of shows are. And I yeah. like slept this giant, like piano deep into Brooklyn somewhere. <laughs> and it was like those shows at first you're often like, man, no one's here. And then they're often like the best shows. I don't know what it is, but there's yeah. something about like, Everyone being there, being like, fuck it, it's just us, let's go. And they're always so much fun. That's the thing. And, like, I think about, like, that show, and we did that show for a while, and we did ones that were, like, the one that you were on, uh, where there was, like, literally one audience member. And then the last one we did before the pandemic where we, like, sold out Union Hall. But, like, the feeling I have in my memory (laughs) of, like, doing both of those shows is, like, the same level of, like, excitement and, like, electricity. Because... I mean, it's the same, but in different ways. Like one, when there's, it's just for the performers almost. It's like this like certain type of fun that's like this in joke with everyone and you're just like can fuck around and do whatever. And then, the, you know, it's a little bit different when you're performing for like, you know, yeah. 200 people who don't know you. Still exciting though. Yes. Um, it's like that thing that, you know, when you challenge yourself to be like, I'm going to like whatever kind of comes out Like, I remember talking to you about when you were developing that show and you were talking about how you just wanted to set, like, almost, like, just set a date and be like, I must have something by this time. And then, like, that challenge, like, spewed out some insane shit that came together in a really beautiful and unique, cool way. And I find that, like, sometimes with my own work, like, even kind of putting this podcast together, I... uh, did not like methodically plan out a ton of stuff but i was just like here's like just fucking spew it down and be like this is what it's going to be and then just start making it and figure it out kind of as i develop and as i iterate and as i go do you find like that is a helpful like way to keep you like on your toes or like that sort of thing yeah i do like deadlines and shit like that are really important because like I mean, I think it's sort of a balance because sometimes I'm like, no, things need to really, you know, some of the best stuff I've done have been really thought out and really planned. And I look back on it and I'm like, God, I'm glad I did spend a lot of time just sort of making that and letting it gestate and become what it is. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I've had things where I'm like, that shit would have never gotten done unless I had to just sort of push it and like make like a lot of like Nick and I with our sketches we've had some stuff where we really have spent a long time mm-hmm. then we've had some stuff where we're like we have promised people we are premiering a sketch of this show <laughs> on Thursday and it's Tuesday so we are just going to start right now and see what happens and something sometimes amazing comes out of it and we're like wow we would have never had that happen if we hadn't been like forced to just push through the mess SNL as hard of a place as that place is to work that's kind of the beauty of it is like, right. you know, it's Tuesday night and you're like, I have no sketch ideas. And they're like, too bad. The table reads tomorrow at 2 p.m. So you better have some sketches. Like yeah. you just have to. Yeah. And it's like you just start pushing. Something's got to come out. And sometimes it sucks. And sometimes it's like, holy shit, this Mm-hmm. It's great. And the only reason it really came is because you had to like, you know, kind of make it work. So, yeah, I do feel like more often than not, like that just like the need to do something and just sort of like, like when I gave myself that November 1st date, when my first show was last year, it made the show happen. There's, Mm -hmm. it would not have happened if I just hadn't given myself something like that. So yeah, everyone kind of works differently, but it, to me that does help more often than not. Yeah. I find that to be the case too, for myself, especially with comedy. Um, and not necessarily like, I think with funny stuff, when I don't allow myself too long to second guess whether this joke is actually funny, that's where, like, the pressure, like, helps. But then things like production, obviously having a longer time to, like, shoot something will help it look nicer. Right. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, no, there's uh, – in that same sort of subject, I think about this sometimes where it's like you can see, a, you know, a comedy, a, a studio comedy can come out, like a film, that mm-hmm. people have worked on for years, and it's like – Horseshit. It's like not good, not funny. And it's like, wow, so many people have spent years. Like, there's five people have gone through like drafts of the script. There are huge comedians in it. I'm sure they were like on set doing so many different takes of different lines and the editing process. And it's not funny. And then you see like 
an incredible improv group, like the Improvised Shakespeare Company or someone, and mm-hmm. they do a set, and it's like you're doubled over laughing, and it's like, okay, so this group didn't think at all about their comedy and it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. And these people thought over it for years and it's like falling flat. Mm -hmm. It just says, that says something to the idea of like, perhaps you can completely overthink comedy. Yeah. And then I think like in the greater, like career wise of not just necessarily in comedy, but like, I think people overthink their moves. Like if I take this job, it's, it'll totally change my life. Like, do you agree? Or like, yes. Like, I'm wondering if there's been any times that you specifically like said no to a thing that everyone was telling you to like take or something like that. Is that too personal? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I'm just trying to think. Cause I've basically, I think I've said yes to any, anything that everyone's like, you've got to do it. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I think there is something where people think there's a trajectory to things and they're almost never, like all the sur- things that have happened in my career that's like a, a big step were like a surprise left turn out of nowhere. Yeah. And all the things where it's like, you know, oh, you got this deal to make this movie. Great. Well, that's going to mean this. Or it's like, you got on SNL. That's going to mean this. Have never really panned. I mean, I think mm-hmm. SNL is kind of the example of that where it's like, you have to do SNL if they come calling. You have to. Yeah. There's no way yeah, not to. Yeah, you don't to. tell them no, really. You don't tell them no. And I don't know if I would. It's like when I meet so many young writers and performers whose ultimate goal is to get on SNL. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sort of like, I don't know if that's the right path for you. Like, it's it's a very particular type of person that I think should go there. And it's not everyone at all. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where I'm like, uh, I think everyone looks at it and thinks it's a, a there's a certain stepping a necessary stepping stone that it is and it right. leads to this path that's like amazing and for some people it will but it comes at a price which is working at SNL for a while and two <laughs> that's not what it is for a lot of people a lot of times mm-hmm. it is you re- only realize afterwards that was kind of a distraction from where you needed to go but it's such a shiny distraction that like you think you should do it that's what I think I, I see a lot where it's like uh, there's these kind of the narrative of like, oh, you have to go in this direction because that will then lead to X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. and people following that. And I think the big example of that to me is like the way social media is presented now, like mm-hmm. the way being an influencer or branding yourself or developing as followers or all that shit to me is like the biggest example of people going down that route and putting everything into it when they are just not meant to do that. And it, it breaks my heart sometimes because I just see people who have like a craft and a soul and are artists who are just becoming, I don't know, these sort of, I don't, I don't know what you call them, people who just sort of follow this. It's almost like herd mentality of doing this, this type of mm-hmm path for now i mean really just like for right now and it's not even something they're good at or want to do or like doing and uh yeah that's something i i i sense sometimes i get pushed into or i i feel that people whether it's the industry or friends or agents or like kind of can push me in that direction and i'm like i don't i don't want to go i don't want to do it there might be something about turning 30 because you mentioned it before like starting right. like two years ago i started to realize like, wow, I've been spending like all this time. Like for me, the thing was um, was like UCB and doing all this stuff. And I just never really felt myself fitting in there, but I kept doing mm-hmm. it. And I was like, I'm having like success. The few times that I do go outside of that like factory, why am I not putting all my energy out there on these other things like stand up or like writing my own web series things and that stuff? Versus, like, trying to knock down a door that, like, they just, I just, I might not be a fit. And, like, it took me a long time to realize that. And I think, like, yeah. sometimes it, you don't even realize it, like you were saying, until you get there. And then you're like, oh, shit, this isn't what I thought it would be. And it's not really for me. Yeah. I mean, UCB is an excellent example. Because especially over, like, you know, the last decade and a half, like, it kind of reigned supreme mm-hmm. in the zeitgeist of the comedy world. It's like... UCB was, especially like in New York, that Chelsea theater, Mm. that was like where you wanted to be. There was like, Nick and I wanted to perform there. That was our first place we ever performed. And we were kind of like one foot in, one foot out of UCB. Like we were never on a Herald team or anything, but we, that was our home base to perform at. Mm -hmm. And we just felt like a sense of like, 
like we were, you know, we went to them first before we ever asked to do shows anywhere else. But it it is kind of like a cult because like it just felt like the place where it's like everyone's getting picked from UCB to go to these shows. And if you, you know, get on a weekend team at UCB, you're kind of this like huge celebrity. And it's like if you're in comedy, there is just sort of this magnet that UCB had where you're like, I guess I got to be part of the UCB community, that family. And some people are really meant for it. Mm-hmm. And some people kind of aren't. And it's like. There's parts of UCB that maybe they kind of vibe with, but then there's other shit they're doing that is not UCB's thing at all. And it does, I've seen the same thing where people like, they're in the comedy world, so they just sort of like, I guess I got to just spend all my money on UCB classes, even though I'm not quite into it and don't totally get it. And they don't really seem to like me too much there, but I guess it's the place to go. And it's like, the reality is there's another home for them right over here that you're just like not looking at yet because... And it's like, it takes everyone a minute to find it. Like you can't like everyone goes through that in some sort of capacity. Um, But yeah, that's, it is tragic to me when someone like never finds it and they keep trying to fit themselves into a, you know, they're a square peg in a round hole. And in a a larger sense, I feel that with LA, like I, Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of people here who don't really like acting, but they were like pretty and they were told they should be an actor so they're like, okay, and they came out here and they don't really know what the craft is and they don't love performing, but they know, like, they're just, you can kind of say, I've seen it in acting classes, I've seen yeah. it in people, and it's like one of those things where I just, I'm like, you, I don't think you know yet that this isn't your home, but you've been told it is, and mm-hmm. so, but it's like, yeah, it's you can find it everywhere. Yeah, I think you're right. There's a certain, like, I was going to say twinkle in someone eye, someone's eyes that they, like, have when they're really, like, you can tell that they're really, like, in it and, like, meant to be there and, like, it's fulfilling a part of them. But then at the same time, there's also sort of a deadness behind the eyes when <laughs> you do see, like, those people that you're just, like, you're clearly, like, pretty unhappy right now. Why are you spending all your time and energy doing this? Right. And, like, it's just making you frustrated and angry <laughs> like, yeah. bitter. Um, yeah. And, like, I'm wondering, like, is there, like, for you, when you have that moment where you realize it, do you, do you have trouble in turn, like, for example, like, if, if you have that moment where you realize, like, oh, I wasn't meant to kind of be on this path, like, for example, with the SNL thing, where, like, after a while, you started to be like, well, maybe this isn't really the right fit for me. Did it, did you, like, try to talk yourself into it? Or did you kind of just, like, like kind of take it and be like yeah you're right i gotta go brian we gotta go brian you gotta get the fuck out of here (laughs) well i got lucky because they fired me so i got i got an easy out um (laughs) but would would you would you have stuck around though if if they hadn't that's a great question i remember because nick and i told ourselves because we got fired halfway through our second year there and we talked about it we were like if we make it through second year and they ask us to come back for a third year i'm not sure if we should do it Mm -hmm. like you know it just felt like it was not a great fit for us and we already had established our sketch voice for a decade and it wasn't quite what SNL's voice was and I remember I won't say who but I was a cast member after we got fired took me out you know sort of like for Mm -hmm. drinks and they were like you're very lucky I was like why and they're like because you got it you got to leave and I was like what do you mean you can leave they're like I can but I can't really because it's like no one just leaves. The yeah. show is so like it's you get to perform every week and you're at the center of the like the the comedy universe. And it's like it's such and who knows what's going to happen after the show. It is impossible to kind of leave on your own, even if you hate it. And it's kind of true. It's mm-hmm. like it's like I, I say we would have left after year two, but it's like it's it's so there's something just so sexy about that job that yeah. it's like. So I, I I would hope that I would have the ability to to bow out if I um, if I you know if they asked me to come back and I really thought it wasn't a fit. But I guess it's only hypothetical right now. I can't really I know for sure. True. But in general, I think I am pretty good at um, saying. I guess I'm trying to think if there's any big like no's I've given. I mean I've taken pretty much all opportunities given to me. 
I think I'm I think I'm good at knowing like if I am doing a path for money or for something I don't like to then balance it out with something that I do love, whether it is like mm-hmm. Nick and I have to go like make some sketches or I have to put on a show. I try to at least like if I go this far in this direction, do something that swings it back in this direction. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where I I. I, I always just try to have a constant eye on it, but uh, I, I don't know. I'm not sure how great I am at actually being completely true to my artistic self. Um, I mean, there are some people who would never have taken any of the jobs, some of the jobs I've taken and like who will like live and die over their typewriter, you know, <laughs> bleeding to write the perfect sentence. It would never work in right. a studio system. I'm not that type of person. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... But- I think that, like, it – I guess you don't know until you know. But I know right. that there's been certain to- – I guess this is maybe – I don't know if this is the same sort of sentiment or a different sentiment. But there's been times where, like, I didn't get a, a, a gig that I was really, like, thought I had or whatever it was. Like, I was, like, further on in the submission process and then it didn't happen. But then because I was free and and I had something better come up, like – a couple of weeks down the road and it was like, whoa, if I had gotten this other job, I would have never been able to do this other, this, the next thing that actually ended up being like really fulfilling and like I was really proud of the work that I did there. I yeah, know. life is funny. It does kind of work like that often. Yeah. Often when you do, it's, you know, it's one of those like, whoa, is this happening for a reason kind of moments? <laughs> but like it does sort of happen like more often than not. Um, I think the one way I I will say that I've been pretty good at it is Nick and I, from the beginning, we've never made any money on YouTube for our stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. not really. Like, they have basic ad money and stuff. But, like, we've been offered to partner with places before. And, like, you know, there are ways where you can, like, become part of other channels and, like, get more money and, like, you know, through however their ad system works. And we've always just said no to all of it because for us, like we kind of realized young that like once you start getting into this actual industry, into TV and film, mm-hmm. you you just naturally lose a bit of control. Like it's just part of it. You have to kind of get right with that. Mm-hmm. And we realized like YouTube was our sandbox to play in. That was ours. And the moment anyone else or any money came in from anyone else for it, I mean, I've seen it happen to so many people yeah. too. You're beholden to like whether it's create a certain type of content or a certain amount of content or anything. And we just sort of was like, YouTube is our place to make a sketch a month or one sketch every three years and to do it (laughs) exactly how we want to do it. And we're the only people that get to see it until it's out. And like, that is really special to us. And so that is a a world where we have, you know, politely declined offers and they don't really happen anymore because now you know, now it's all about Instagram and TikTok and all that shit. It's not YouTube sketch comedy is not the place where people are making money no. <laughs> the way they're kind of were in 2009. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's that's the one place where I felt very proud that we have not compromised in any way. Yeah. I um, mean, it's keep it pure. I mean, because, yeah. yeah, as soon as you get into like anything working with brands or networks or everybody's got notes and a lot of the times yeah. that it'll drag you down and then you end up making something totally different than what is actually your voice or vision oh yes oh yes <laughs> you've that heard is, of that before i've heard of that once or twice <laughs> happened to some friends of mine uh, um, no i've been a part of that <laughs> so i'm kind of wondering like i've seen you do so many different things and i you do see in like someone who can pivot and get excited about like being artistic in in all these different ways that sort of like touch on your talents, whether it's music or writing or performing or doing interpretive dance uh, to Nicki Minaj <laughs> songs. Yep, yep. Um, like, w- how has like this like weird year, like, like you know, challenged you to like be like do sort of things a little bit differently, or has it been mostly the same? I mean, it's yeah, it's there's been challenges to it and there's been like great things about it too i mean the great i I think the lucky thing is because like i really feel for some of my friends who are solely performers Mm -hmm. who are just sort of like that's all i want to do and can do and i can't fucking do it right now and i feel so much for them because it's that's that's true like what do you do if you you know you have to uh, exist in that capacity. And it's like, I love performing, but I am a 
songwriter and writer writer and all that shit. So I'm able to tap into that side of me, which has been great. There's been a lot of, I've had a lot of days where I've like gotten, I've been like, I've got a lot of shit done. A lot of like, because I've not been expected to split my time doing anything else. Yeah. That being said, I'm done living in my fucking head, man. Like I'm funny yeah. as like, I just want to go be dumb on a stage. I want like to act and have someone else tell me what to do because like just this pure creation from my own head has been like, it's been a lot. But I, I don't know. I guess I've, I've explored other things. I've tried to, I've started writing short stories and stuff. And, you know, I've, I've tried to become, uh, add more. I've started tap dancing <laughs> at another. You wait, uh, you really started sta- tap dancing? Yeah, I bought a floor, a tap floor and shoes, <laughs> and I've been doing online classes. Again, but it's one of those things where it's like, there's part of me where I'm like, man, it's, am I like just a jack of all trades, master of none type of thing? Where it's like, like I have friends that are like, I'm a DP. I'm a director of photography. Mm-hmm. That's all I care about. That's all I study. I'm fucking great at it. And I'm like, man, as much as I love the idea, I'm like, I do everything. Part of me is like, yeah, I do. But like, am I sort of spreading myself thin sometimes? Like, if I focused on just being a director, would I have a movie out of this point? If I just mm-hmm. wanted to be an actor, you know, would that look different? If I just wanted to be a comedian, singer, songwriter, would I have like, would I have sellout theaters the way Tim mentioned does. And part right. of me is like, oh, am I like, what, should I be focusing or or not? And I think the answer is I just can't. Like I just, who I am is a person that spreads yeah. themselves out and like I just go everywhere. So it's like I have to follow that because that's, you know, where my joy lies. I feel you. I mean, I recently had a meeting um, with like a production company that was like maybe we might work together about some uh, writing and directing. Like I would do some writing and directing for them. And they were like, I was telling them about all the things that I've done and all the things that I do. And they straight up were like, are you a jack of all trades, master of none? And I was like, (laughs) I was like, I was like, holy shit. I was like, rude. (laughs) Uh, Yes. And fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but then I, I thought about it and then I was like, well, I, I do think it helps open my mind up to like, especially when you like, most of the stuff that I do do is collaborative, whether it's being in a writer's room or working on a set or whatever. And you're working with different people in different uh, departments. And I think it's helpful to like have an understanding of like what everyone else is like your DP friend who is only a DP and knows way more about DPing than you ever would. You do know enough about cameras to be able to have a conversation with him if you were to be a director with him on set. Right. So right, like, right, yeah. it's helpful, I think. Um, and I think it also helps open my mind up to like different ways that I can be creative, especially when you end up in a situation like this year when it's like, I can't do stand up on a stage right now and that sucks. But what are other ways that I can make people listen to my thoughts? (laughs) Yeah, sure. How can I get me out there? Um, yeah, I definitely feel like when I learn a new skill, this is kind of a weird concept, but it's like, other skills help build other skills. Like mm-hmm. when I start playing piano, I'm like, oh, this is not dissimilar from writing a script. I can't really explain why, but like there's a way in which the rhythm and the look and the shape of a song kind of is the way I write comedy. And then it kind of like helps each other. And then it's like I learned tap dancing and I learned certain moments. I'm like, oh, this like is not different than like writing poetry in certain, it's, it sounds so kind of ethereal and like I'm stoned right now, but it's like everything <laughs> I learn, the more other things I know kind of help feed into this, the new thing too, because everything is kind of connected in their own weird little ways. I don't know. It's kind of a strange concept. I do think that like you have a point. It seems like maybe you you think that like creativity is sort of like melodic. Either that or you have synesthesia. Mm. <laughs> do you, is it is synesthesia the I have what? Sorry. S- synesthesia? I you know, synesthesia, <laughs> I, I I wish I had it because I've I've read about it a ton and it sounds like cool. Actually it sounds kind of overwhelming for some people who have it. Yeah. They're like I just like I can just hear blue. It's too much. But it's like uh, I don't think I have it. But there is something I have where it's like uh, they, it, they connect in certain ways that I mean I can tell even when Nick and I talk to each other, we're so different in the way we think about like mm-hmm. comedy. 
And I think it's why we work together so well is like, I always say that I work from the outside in and Nick works from the inside out mm-hmm. where it's like, if Nick has like a sketch idea, sometimes like he's so focused on like the details. He's such a writer. He's such a joke teller. He's like this joke, this joke, this joke, like the details are very important to him about like, what is this about? And like, how are we making the joke work? Mm-hmm. And then my f- f- approach to sketches often like, what if it's sort of like, all right, here's a piece of music, just like listen to that piece of music and like think of like the color chartreuse and like sort of like maybe this shape. And Nick will be like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I'm like, just trust me. It's like, it's that's how it's like, there's no jokes yet. I don't know the idea, but like that will then start shaping itself. So I think I'm often like, I'm very like aware of kind of the rhythm and f- pacing mm-hmm. and feel of yeah. what we do. And Nick's very aware of the content and what we're actually doing. And that's great because it's like too... It's the two things you kind of need to make sure something's working. That's so great. I mean, that's like, one, I totally relate to what you're saying because I feel like very similar to like your end of things where like I've pitched sketch ideas where be like, okay, so like this is happening, like this is happening and it's totally normal, but this song is playing and then like a dog walks by and like that's hilarious, like whatever it is. And people are like, but what's the game or whatever the fuck. And I'm just like- No, just let me show. So then sometimes it ends up being me like going out and making that thing and being like, see, it is funny. Yes. But it sounds like like you're like you guys maybe work together sort of the same way that like if you're thinking about a song, like the way that like uh, the melody and the rhythm work together, like they're different, but they're like Mm -hmm. you lay them on top of each other. Yeah, I think that's very much it. Like they they no, I think that's right. It's like they both are equally important to each other, but they kind of come from different places and. Mm And they kind of act differently, but when they land on top of each other, you're like, oh, this, these two, these are always meant to be together exactly yeah. the way they are. Aww. Um, yeah, it's really sweet. <laughs> it is interesting. So, I mean, I think that I probably know what you're going to answer this with, but do you think that there's any one set path for people or w- no and then why? <laughs> Big question. I, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, yeah, my, my initial answer would be, uh, I, I don't know because it's tough because I wanted to say no, but I think there are, might be some people who are just so clear. Like mm-hmm. they just, they think in chess, like chess, they want to play chess. They're, it's just clear. They are Gary Kasparov and should be playing chess. <laughs> it is just absolutely clear. But then I think that's a very small contingent of people. I think most people, yeah, it's like you don't know. And it's like it's good to explore and go into dead ends. And, you know, Mm -hmm. you never really know, I don't think. I think what happens a lot is people want to do something and they never really do it. And it's always on their mind, like, I should try this. And it's great to try it to then fail, to then be like, oh, I can now put it out of my brain. Like, Mm -hmm. I... You know, I was looking at that and I've always thought I should be an improviser. And I tried it and I was like, oh, I hate this. It's not for me. And that's nice just to sort of like just put that to bed. So I do think like it's and I think it also changes throughout your life, too. Like, I think we have this thing where it's like when you're 18 years old, it's like, where are you going to college? What are you majoring in? And then you go and you go for 40 years and you get this degree that says you're a major in whatever. And then you turn name any age and you go, I don't know if I like marine biology was really, I mean, I was into it at the time, but like things have changed, man. It's like, Mm -hmm. I I don't like, you know, the world has changed. I'm a parent now. I've really gotten into this skill, but I have this thing that everyone like, I spend so much time and energy on it. So I guess I should continue down this path. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where it's like, I kind of feel like you should be getting like your own version of degrees and things every four years, wherever you feel. Cause I do think it like, I think it changes. I don't think it stays static. And, um, and I think there's often you feel like you're betraying yourself when you need to shift out of something. But I think that's just like, um, you know, that's just what being a human is. So I guess I don't think there's a particular path for most, most people. I mean, I think the path will split and wind and, move away from yeah. where you thought and then come back to it in a different way. And 
That's uh, there's a song. Remember the sunscreen song? Do you remember that song? Oh From yeah, we were like wasn't that yeah, like a David all, Foster Wallace um, speech? It or was. Something? Everyone thought it was a Kurt Vonnegut speech, but oh. then it turns out it wasn't. It was just I think some woman who just wrote like an editorial in a newspaper, and then everyone was like putting. Yeah, I think David Foster Wallace was another rumor. Yeah. But then Boz Lerman made a a song out of it. I do remember and it's that. Like, Wear sunscreen. And I always loved it as a kid. I the was class of 99. Yes. And, he said, and I was just listening to, uh, to that with my dad one time when I was like 12 or something in the car. And there's one part where they go, don't, uh, don't feel ashamed if you don't know what you want to do with your life. Some of the mo- more interesting people I met didn't know at 22 what they, didn't, what they wanted to do with their life. Some of the most interesting 40-year-olds I know still don't. That's like one of the yeah, pieces I remember of advice. That. Mm-hmm. And my dad like turned down the piece of music and he like looked at me and he was like, that is true. Like I want you to remember, if anything, that. Like you do not have to know and, and that's okay mm-hmm. at whatever age. And that was really cool for my dad. To, it was very freeing to like hear that from my dad. I went yeah. to a school with a lot of really smart kids. And I remember a lot of them had parents that were like, you have to be an engineer. Like my friend's Mm -hmm. dad said that to him, or you have to go to this school. It's just like they had that. And some of them were meant to go to really smart schools and do those things, but some of them weren't. And it's like the fact that my dad just said like, don't worry about what you want to do. No one Mm -hmm. really knows. And you don't ever need to know. I was like, that's really, that's really cool. And that now is here really I am cool. trying 12 different things and kind of wish he'd told me to just stick to a path because I'm <laughs> crazy. No. Um, yeah, that is cool. I mean, I had like the opposite experience or like I um, <laughs> I was very much told like you only can do like a basically it's like the thing that like people like us don't do things like that. Like when it comes to like having a creative career, like my, my family, no one had anything like that. It was like go right. to, you go to you're going to be a marketing person and you're just going to get a job <laughs> in marketing. And I did that and I did it for two years and I hated it so much. And I th- thought really long and hard about like what brings me joy since I was a kid. And it was comedy, writing and films. And I was like, I think I want to be a filmmaker and I think I want to write comedy and make comedy movies and TV and that sort of stuff. And when I like thought about that and like decided that that was kind of like what was in my heart, I like literally called my mom and was like, may I have permission to like follow my dream? Basically, I was like, I was essentially <laughs> like, will you disown me? At the time, I was like 23. So I was an adult. I was out of college. I already had my degree. I was working. I was a, fully an adult. But I was like, will you be mad if I like throw this all down the drain <laughs> to go try something else? And she was like, oh, no, that makes a lot of sense. You should have been doing it the whole time. And I was like, Wow. Could have fucking told me. <laughs> you know, um, and I think your dad telling you that when you were younger is like so just wonderful to have had that. Um, yeah, yeah. And I'm glad your mom gave you permission later on. That's, that must have been very freeing. It was. It was really freeing. I mean, I probably would have done it anyway, but it was nice to know that she was like, oh, yeah. Right, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> not that I needed a permission or anything, but it was just like a right. funny I don't know. But anyway, um, I think that there's a lot of merit to being the jack of all trades and to trying different things. And I think, um, I think you know, you're not 40 yet, so who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> not 40 yet. Not yet. Uh, <laughs> but um, thank you for, like, chatting with me today. This has been oh, a really wonderful conversation. Yeah. yeah, it's been really nice. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you're the your vibe and like your the way that you think about like creativity is is kind of like what I'm trying. It's like kind of the same thesis that I'm trying to go for in 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 this whole experiment here. So yeah, I think really it's a great idea for a podcast. So, like this is a because I I like you was like I'm not fucking doing a podcast guy because everyone was saying do a <laughs> yeah. podcast and I'm yeah. like. I don't want to add on to the fucking content. Like what, what do I talk about? And so it's like, I think you found a nice conversation. No one's having. And it's like, it's a really great idea for a podcast, especially Uh, for a creative to listen to this and just sort of like get reinforcement that, you know, you can, you need to just sort of follow who you are and just hear it. You can't hear that enough. I feel like as a creative, it helps just to hear other people going through that process too and everything. So you're doing God's work in our field. Oh, great. Well, I'm going to tell my mom now. (laughs) No pressure. No pressure. (laughs) If you have anything you'd like to plug, feel free. No, I got nothing right now. Nothing. Um, Just watch Britannic videos. Watch Britannic videos. Cool. Um, 
Well, thank you very much, Brian. It's always a pleasure speaking to you. Thanks for having me. And yes, outside of podcasting times, we should catch up again soon since everything is on the internet now. <laughs> Jack of all trades, master of Nicki Minaj interpretive dance, Brian McElhaney. There you have it, guys. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Brian. I know I certainly did. Um, and I'd love to know, for you guys out there listening, you know, I'll... All of you. <laughs> what do you guys think of this whole jack of all trades conversation? It's something that I've personally been going back and forth on for my entire career. And I've often heard that like, you can never be really good at one thing if you do more than one thing. And I think the benefit of having the vocabulary to communicate with the people that you collaborate with is more worth it than being like the best at this one teeny thing versus like being pretty good at a number of things and then being very good at being able to communicate with people who do different things than you do. That's my perspective on it, but I'd love to know yours. So hit me up on Instagram. You can DM me, ange.pal, or on Twitter, at angepal. Just just let me know what you think. Um, Anyway, that's it for me this week. Thanks again for joining me. And you can follow me on both the things I just said. But otherwise, I'll see you back here next time with another conversation. Bye.